Where do I start? How do I train recall? How long should we work on healing before moving on? Is crate training really that important? We hear these questions all the time and there's one answer that will help with all of them. The complete step-by-step dog training course found at Standing Stone Supply. They break down the what, when, where, and how to train your own dog from eight weeks to one year old. They've got it all laid out for you down to even the daily activity checklist to keep you and your puppy on track. Check out standingstonesupply.com and remember to use code GDIY to save 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. So you kind of, as a handler, have to figure out, okay, I've I've trained both of these dogs up to a certain level. At what point am I comfortable putting them together to where we can then train together for them to achieve one dog being able to point and the other one going into flush? There's always something to debate or argue in the dog world, but there's this one thing that's not up for debate. All hunters and dog hunters know you need the right gear, not just for yourself, but for your dogs as well. Conkey's Outdoors Hound and Hunting Supply is your number one source for all things hound related. Conkey's is owned and operated by true houndsmen themselves. They've got you covered no matter the game you're chasing, from hog hunting, bear hunting, and even gator hunting. Bird dog guys don't feel left out either. They have whatever you need, whether it's training collars, tracking collars, boots, chaps, vests, coats, and more. No matter what you and your dog needs to have a successful hunt, check out conkeysoutdoors.com and they'll get you on the right track. Purchases over $100 gets you free shipping and enter GDIY5 to save 5%. And if you're a Patreon patron, you get to save even more money. So be sure to check out Conkeys Outdoors. And we're back with another week of GDIY. Joe, what's happening? Man, getting ready for the holidays. Yeah, I just got back in town myself from uh, doing the family holiday thing in Memphis. That's right. But are you in South Carolina or are you staying staying home? Uh, No, South Carolina is coming to us for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a few weeks later, I'm going back to South Carolina for a baby shower. Oh, yeah, (laughs) those are fun. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. Well, I've, uh, got, I've got South Florida coming to me, so there you go. I have a full house with a with a crime baby in it, with, huh? Oh well, you forget that I got the RV in my uh, driveway. <laughs> oh yeah, your father in law left that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm gonna so, come hijack that and go to the grouse woods up in the yeah. mountains with it. Yeah, yeah. I, it's a 26 footer, so you might kind of have a little bit hard time navigating the grouse woods with it, but. Ah, I still want to leave it there wherever it gets stuck. Well, that I kind of want to take it where we went. Uh, was that uh, last year or was it two years ago? I don't I know. I guess it was two years ago where there was like an actual like campground and stuff. We could pull that thing up. We'd have a nice oh, yeah. place to sleep. It's got heat, a shower, man. <laughs> Spo- getting spoiled now, man. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you want to tell everybody what we have this week for them? We got a return guest this week by popular demand, Corey Bigelow. 
Oh, Corey Bigelow. Yeah, he was. It's been it's been about a year since we last had him on after our Kentucky trip last uh, January. He's he was with the uh, Bluegrass Uplanders, but uh, he called. He reached out a few weeks ago and and asked what I thought about doing an episode on running pointing dogs and flushing dogs at the same time. And I told him that's actually on my list to cover. So uh, let's do it because he does it himself. He's he is a true and true DIY guy. He mm-hmm. has his hands in a lot of different pots with these dogs. And so, it, you know, it's a it's a really good perspective from just your average DIY Joe getting out there and having fun with his dogs. Yeah, man. And this is one of the reasons why we started this podcast, because we can have, you know, a, a quote unquote pro trainer uh, with Scott one week and then we can have, you know, you know, mm-hmm. just a DIY, someone else, someone who's just going out and getting it and, and, and learning from mistakes and everything like that. So um, that's what I love about it. Yep, absolutely. And so, yeah, it's it's a fun little conversation. And uh, besides hitting the normal, you know, social media, follow us here, follow us there, uh, Jazz, we're going to save you that spiel and just hit on one thing. Uh, we need all of you that haven't done it already. Do us a favor. Stop right now. Hit pause. Go leave us a rating and review, please, on whatever uh, platform you're on. Uh, Apple Podcasts is is really the most popular one on downloads. But if you can do us a favor and go hit that five-star review and uh, leave a review and what you like about the podcast. If you don't like it, then shoot us an email and tell us why you don't like it instead of leaving a bad review. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we we um, the ratings... They, they've always kind of come in uh, pretty steadily. They've slowed down the past few weeks, and we're, we're right there, man. We're like right under 200. But, uh, yeah, I can't tell you how the algorithm works, but it, the ratings interview directly affects on uh, how people find us and how they search for it. So if you haven't done it, take two seconds. Go leave that five-star rating and type up a review if you're so inclined, and we would really appreciate it. That's all we want for Christmas. There you go. That's all we want for Christmas. It's a rating and review. Yep. Well, uh, anything else, Joe? And I mean, do you have a tip of the week? Oh, I guess somebody might want that for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I I didn't really get a a, a good listener tip uh, this week. So yeah, if you have a tip. Uh, be sure to shoot it to us so that we can share it. I have a tip that I can just throw out your way uh, right now, but I want the tips coming from the listeners. I want everybody kind of helping each other out. So if you got a good tip, be sure to shoot it to us at gundogityourself at gmail.com. But yeah, the the tip right now is uh, it's kind of vague in general, but uh, we've always kind of gotten asked from listeners on a regular basis. But man, this past week I've, I've gotten, I don't know, 10, 15 people messaging me, asking me uh, what training books I would recommend to them. And it might be a product of the, just the time of year, winter, uh, holidays, you know, they're just hanging out, but I tell all of them the same thing. I'm not going to recommend any one book. In my opinion, go read all of them. And even at the outdated ones, quote unquote, you know, if they're 50 years old, you can still glean some good information. Focus on the why as you're reading these books instead of the how. I'm not a big how-to book guy. I, I really look into it as uh, you, you figure out the mindset of the trainer and why they're telling you to do things a certain way. And you come back with a lot more information. And, you know, it's you never stop learning. So just go buy a bunch of different books. I mean, I've read everything from the Wild Rose Way Retriever books to uh, Delmar Smith's book to Craig Doherty's Build a Grouse Dog book, the Navda Green book. I've read all of it. I mean, I'm even reading right now uh, explaining how dogs learn and how best to teach them by Pamela Reed. That's real interesting if you want to deep dive in behavioral theory and stuff like that. Uh, just don't focus in on one thing, you know, don't focus in on just teach a gun dog, go into all kinds of different areas. I mean, I've read freaking, you know, training your coon dog book with walk with wick. It's one of the best coon dog books out there. It's just like Mm -hmm. dogs are dogs. You're going to expand your knowledge by going to all kinds of different sources and just focus on the why instead of the how. Use that uh, Amazon gift card you're probably going to get from the person who doesn't know you well enough to get you a a, a training book. 
Yep. And go, and go buy some books. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. It's a great time of year, man. It's dark outside. Just pull up a book, especially if hunting season's done. Start focusing, getting that game plan ready for training season and uh, hitting the new year off strong. Love it. Well, yeah. Nick, Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, you too. Everybody have a great holiday. If you're uh, traveling with family, be safe. If you're hunting, be safe. Have fun. Good luck. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. See you guys. Picture this. You just finished a long day's hunt or a long day in the training field grooming your next champion. You've run through your entire string of dogs in anticipation for the next fall. You think the day's over. It's not, though. Your day's not over until you let that ugly dog hunt. No hunting or training session is complete without capping it off with one of the spirits from Ugly Dog Distillery. They're Michigan-raised and purebred handcrafted spirits. They have everything you need from vodka and gin to your more traditional after-hunt choice Kentucky bourbon. Head on over to UglyDogDistillery.com to check availability within your state. And if you have an upcoming event that's alcohol-friendly, then be sure to reach out to us and see if we can add another Ugly Dog to the lineup. We'll tell you right now, we aren't much on flavored whiskeys, but you have to try their peanut butter whiskey. Unlike other peanut butter whiskeys out there, Ugly Dogs is made with real Kentucky bourbon and not just grain alcohol with syrup. So after your next hunt or a long day of testing and you're trying to decide what to drink, reach for the bottle with Ruger, the German wire hair pointer on it. It was handcrafted by people just like us, dog people. Every adventure starts somewhere. Make sure yours includes an ugly dog at your side. Explore responsibly. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need, from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link, and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, everybody. I'm joined this week with Corey Bigelow of the Bluegrass Uplanders. Corey, what's going on, man? Not too much, man. You know, like you always say, living the dream. Absolutely. I'm really living it this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been about a year since we've had you on. You know, catch us up. What have you had going on this year? Well, um, probably since the last time we talked, I've been a little bit more field trialing this year with the UFTA. Um, got all, all my dogs qualified up for the national tournament in February. Uh, it's actually going to be held here in Kentucky, so really pretty cool. A couple hours away, yeah, in Stanford, Kentucky. So what be, what, what weekend awesome. is that going to fall on? It's uh, um, February twentieth through February twenty seventh. Okay. So it's actually a week-long event. So, yeah, you might have to try to come up and, and check it out, man. Well, I hope it goes better than me and you trying to link up and do a trial anyway. You know, we've been talking about it for months, and it's just like whether it's the virus or just family stuff or hunting trips, is we we never made it happen to where I actually got to come up and try my hand at UFTA and get my butt kicked. Yeah. <laughs> we'll definitely make that happen for sure. There's plenty of them up here in Kentucky, so yep, yep. we can definitely make it happen. Absolutely. But, uh, so what else did you Other have going that, on? I know you uh, you kind of dipped your toes into the NAVDA game this year as well. I did. I did. I was uh, you know thinking about that and, and, and was definitely excited to bring it up. Um, Eric and I uh, ended up joining the Hoosier Hill NAVDA chapter up in, uh, I think it's the Columbia, Indiana. And uh, we started out by going to training days, which I absolutely love because I'm all about you know, getting my dogs on different terrain. Uh, you know, there's nothing nothing worse than training on the same property over and over again. Dogs just know, like, if I go to that point, I'm going to point a bird there. And, you know, <laughs> yep. sometimes you're limited on where you can plant birds at. So, sure. yeah. but uh, went there like three or four months. Great people. Absolutely loved it. Um, very welcoming. And uh, ended up doing an NA test. Eric and I did NA test. I did it with Axel, and then he did it with his new pup, Apache. And uh, we both ended up on the first one with uh, prize threes. Um, it was cool because everybody left there with, with at least a prize three. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, and, and they totally scored our dogs. You know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of Eric, but my dog, they definitely scored exactly the way that he should have been scored. Um, you know, the judges explained to us because we asked them afterwards and they were super helpful and, and really wanted to tell us like why they scored them that way. Yeah. Um, actually got fours and everything, but the search and cooperation, um, you know, this, this particular bloodline, they're very big running short hairs. So, uh, the judges said, we're going to judge your dog based off of what we can see. And you know, the 20 acre field that we were in, I told them guys, I hope you got your track shoes on because he covered it. <laughs> he was at the back of the field in, you know, like half of a second, it seemed like. So, um, and, and he's, he was 13 months old when we did that. So, you know, a little bit still in that stage of like, I'm not going to listen to you when I'm not wearing a collar. So yep. went through that a little bit, but I mean, other than that, like his hunt, you know, use of nose, everything like that, you know, they just couldn't see him because he wasn't working within that, you know, 30 to 40 yard range, uh, for a walking dog. So, right. um, you know, that's like, we kind of like those dogs when we're wild bird hunting, we throw the GPS collar on them and, you know, they roll. And when they go on point, we chase after them and, you know, try to harvest the bird. Hopefully they're still there. So, uh, yep, but absolutely. I mean, it, it was a great experience. Um, you know, it's definitely fun. I'll definitely keep going to the training days. Cause again, it's just, you know, once a month, just a different group of people to hang out with and everything like that. So, yep. And, um, and man, that, that, that's what I really appreciate about guys like you and Eric is you really kind of try your hands at all kinds of different things with these dogs. You don't just, just do UFTA. You don't just hunt. You don't just do NAVDA. I mean, heck, I think you still do like some of the dock diving and stuff too, don't you? During the off season. We, we do. Yeah. Um, with my lab and, and I want to get Axel, actually my, my seven year old, she's really wanting to do dock diving with Axel. I think she has to be eight to actually get up on the dock to do it. But, um, with that, it's just unfortunate. We're not really close to any events, so we haven't done them for a while, but I mean that, you know, I think we talked about this before, just doing something with the dog, you know, rather than just letting it lay around is, is better than nothing. So, absolutely. um, but But, I mean, what we're talking about tonight, it kind of directly lends that lends it to, to you just doing so much different stuff with your dogs. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's like you have your hands and, and feet in so many different areas in these, in the gun dog world that you, you just kind of, I don't know. You just have fun with so much different stuff. And, and one thing that, yeah. you know, you, you hit me up about a few weeks ago and I told you that I actually had it on my list to cover and said, well, heck let's get you on and talk about it now is working your flushing dogs with pointing dogs because clearly, you know, you work your pointing dogs and trials and hunt and stuff, but you really enjoy hunting both of them together as a team. And it's one of those topics for better or worse, you know, you kind of get strong feelings one way or the other, whether you should do it, whether you shouldn't do it, why, why not, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, you know, you've really come to appreciate and enjoy that style of hunting. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, we kind of, when it comes to the wing shooting, um, myself, like I'm in it from, you know, dove season and typically our dove season, like I think you guys did a, a, a podcast, not, you know, during the, like in September timeframe about dove season. And, you know, I, I dove hunt maybe one dove hunt a year, yeah. but it's literally like that annual kickoff to, to the hunting season. And, and for wing shooters, I think it's awesome because that's like, let's go dove hunting and, we got the opportunity to do a dove hunt back in PA um, and, and it was just a blast. I mean, we shot, there was enough of us that we shot 105 birds in like 45 minutes. Ooh. And, uh, you know, that was dog sitting next to you, all those shots. I think it took me like 54 shots to do that, but <laughs> it starts, it starts there. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I won't say how many it took one of our friends to do, but <laughs> it was uh, more than a case. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, it kind of starts there and then rolls into the rest of the season, whether it be, you know, we got a couple goose, early goose hunts in. And then this year, which is crazy to me, uh, you know, I'm a big, uh, I love wild bird hunting and doing all that, obviously. And 
also doing the game preserve thing. I, I really enjoyed doing that. It, I really enjoy taking kids out. You know, the fathers bring their, their sons out and do that. But this year, my dogs have had more wild bird contacts than they have ever, uh, just because I haven't guided as much as I have in, in previous years yeah. to date. Um, you know, we ha- I had a trip out west this year, and we did – it was phenomenal, like probably one of the best trips that I've ever had. But, um, you know, it's great to see those dogs develop like that. But exactly what you're talking about, I'm – when it comes to using pointing dogs and flushing dogs, I, I, it obviously is own opinions. I don't think there's any better combination for a wild bird hunt only because I feel like it's going to set you up for better success because you can kind of step back and assess the situation and then send the flushing dog in to do his thing. And in my case, it's made my pointers, better pointing dogs um you know now some of them they're not steady through the they're they're steady through the flush you know they're not steady to shot but in wild bird hunting situations you know sometimes you might not have a chance to harvest that bird depending on if the dog you know even if the dog sees it go go down you know they might have not not have an opportunity to get to it quick enough being steady all the way through the release which is you know perfectly fine but yeah well, um, let, let, let's slow down and back up real quick. So you, you, I mean, you, you brushed on it, you know, there's, there's a few benefits to doing this style of hunting, but, but what you're kind of touching on is really, in my opinion, the, the primary benefit of, of hunting a combination of pointing and flushing dogs together is when your pointing dog goes on point, you can then assess the situation, hopefully have enough time to get in a better shooting uh, situation and line up and view and then you can send in the flusher to flush the bird and you just have a better shot opportunity and that helps obviously with bagging the bird and getting it back but also can help with safety you know if you have really well trained dogs and steady enough dogs to where you can really take your time and get in a good shooting lane with multiple people and nobody's really flagging each other right yeah absolutely and and you know, some situations you have dogs that when a bird flushes, they might jump and that, you know, might be your situation. But I, I found that it, it's a safety thing. Having that flushing dog go in there rather than me go in to flush, like you said, just sets up the situation. It's, it's, there's a better opportunity for everybody in the group to get a shot, you know, and versus the guy that's going in there to flush the bird he's just getting out of the way at that point. You know what I mean? Depending on how you're hunting. So especially in a guiding situation at a preserve, like I've found that it's just easier to to do that. And plus the people that watch it, that you're taking out there, they just absolutely love watching that (laughs) dog go in and do their thing. Well, so, I mean, that, that's really, I mean, there there might be a couple other small benefits here and there, but I, I think that's really the primary one. And that's really what we're, what we're going to talk to and don't, don't worry people that, you know, if you're against it or have, have issues later on, we're going to cover maybe some of the uh, concerns or, uh, negative qualities, if you want to call it that, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to address those at the end of this, but Corey, I want you to break this down because from my understanding, you have a lab and an English cocker, and then you also have, uh, pointers, short hairs, it's like you, you have multiple different breeds and you work this style with multiple different breeds. So I want you to really break this down and let's start jumping into the how of it. You know, walk us through a perfect scenario of how this works together. And then let's go into the training and getting each dog ready for it. Okay. So, yeah, like you said, we have uh, a yellow lab gunner and then my wife wanted a house dog. And she wanted a French bulldog. And I was like, heck no, we're not getting a French bulldog. Then things cost way too much money and they don't do anything. We're getting an English cocker. And this is like one of the coolest dogs I've ever had. Uh, She's only like 17 pounds. She's eight months old. But um, exactly like going into it when we're in a hunting situation, I'm running. I usually when I'm hunting like out west, say I usually run a pointer and one of my flushers, um, you know, just to, to that way I can have the other dogs rotating through 
later in the day or, you know, whatever, only hunt them one, once a day and then move through it to another dog. So yeah. typically before I got the cocker, we were, I was running the lab like all day on a hunt and essentially the lab, you know, a lot of people, when they look at this process, they're like, Oh, you have the lab out there because your pointers don't retrieve. <laughs> well, it's not true in my case. Um, I, I hunt the lab because I don't feel like going into the heavy cover to flush the bird. Right. You know, I'm, I'm sure in the grouse woods, especially like, and I've never hunted grouse with a lab uh, or a flushing dog, but in the grouse woods, especially like setting up the shot for you to go in there is half the battle of actually bagging one of these rough grouse. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and going into thick, heavy cover with, for lack of a better word, sucks. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, I, he has a much better nose than I do. You know, it's doing this for as long as I have, you can read the pointers enough that you know where the bird is typically. And my pointers are pretty well versed on being released and reestablishing point closer to the bird. Um, sometimes it doesn't always work on wild birds because anytime they feel that pressure, they're going to roll. Yeah. But you know, sometimes in, in a situation, sometimes it does. But uh, typically what we do, you know, we're just walking along, trying to work the wind as best as we can. And uh, the pointer goes on point. And if I'm hunting with anybody else, which a lot of times, I think we had this conversation before, a lot of times when we're wild bird hunting, my buddy's going one way and I'm going the other way. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. typically I'm out there alone and, uh, you know, kind of just let the pointer do its thing. A lot of people will say that they have the, the flushing dog behind the pointer to kind of pick up any stragglers that they might miss. Yeah. Um, I've never really had that happen. I kind of just leave the lab at heel and, uh, you know, I'll let him range out a little bit, but not, you know, too far. And then he's gotten to the point, you know, and this is leading to the training part of it, but he's gotten to the point to where when he sees the pointers go on point, he automatically sits down. So through repetition, and, uh, he's naturally just started backing the pointing dogs. Yep. And through repetition and hunting with pointing dogs, he now points birds with his tail straight up in the air. <laughs> so when I run this, this past year, I, uh, in the UFTA, I got involved in the flushing side of US, the UFTA. And honestly, like I love the pointing side, but the flushing side is so much fun. Um, and, he really sets me up for success because he goes in and points the bird and then I've got time to get to him. And then I tell him to flush him up and he goes and flushes them up. So, but yeah, in a, in a hunting situation, I mean, it's just, I let the pointers do their thing. You know, my short hair tuck, he ranges pretty good. So I kind of just make sure I haven't, you know, keep an eye on him and pay attention to him the whole time and, and let gunner kind of meander around me. And when tuck goes on point, Send him in, get, get everybody ready. If there's other people, like we were hunting uh, wild quail last week and uh, Tuck went on point. I sent Gunner in, he flushed, the, flushed this covey of quail. We only ended up hitting one out of it. And what was funny was Tuck ended up being the one that came back with the bird. So, yeah. you know, Gunner's not always getting the retrieve on it. And, uh, but same thing with the cocker. Like she's really, like at eight months old, she's just, killing it right now. Um, you know, but for the average person that has a pointing dog and a flushing dog, it's literally just something that you have to work together all the time. I don't feel though that you should like both of those dogs should be quote unquote finished first. Um, because I can't imagine how hard it is for a pointing dog it's hard enough for them to allow us to come in there to flush the bird for exactly, them. Exactly. Yeah. Letting another dog come in there. And you know, as well as I do, I think we've talked about this before where, you know, some people have their dogs steady to the point to where they can release one dog at a time to go retrieve the bird. Yeah. You know, to have another dog come in when they're so used to those pointing dogs backing them and, and Gunner, he's kind of a, I don't want to say he's a jerk, but he like, <laughs> he hit checks every dog before he, <laughs> so 
if, if the pointer goes on point, say we had like a bunch of pointers, because this has happened before, where we had like three or four of them backing each other, yep. and then Gunner's there, and you know, I'm assessing the situation, and I, 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 Gunner sits, I make sure everybody's ready, and then I release Gunner on his name. That's his release command. So Gunner, he goes straight to the nose of the pointing dog, the, the, sometimes the lead pointing dog, sometimes one of the backing dogs, but he kind of like bumps them. And, and what's crazy <laughs> to me is they stay there and they don't break point. Like it's, it's ridiculous, you know, that they know not to like, they, they now know what his job is yeah. as he knows what their job is. Yep. So, you know, and it's, it has nothing to do with if there's their job to find the bird and it's his job to flush it and retrieve it. He finds birds just fine by himself, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, it's, it's crazy because he'll literally go in, bump the dog and then just root around. And we, we, <laughs> we were calling him dozer for a while. Cause he would literally just like bulldoze the cover, uh, and root around in there like a wild boar until the, uh, until the bird flushed up. So, and then yeah. my dogs, every bird, every dog releases on the flush and you know, whoever gets to it, gets to it and brings it back. So, gotcha. So, you know, I've, I have very limited experience with this. You know, I, I've, I've, I think I've told the story on here before. I've really only had one experience of working, uh, pointings and pointing dogs and flushing dogs on wild birds one time. And that was with my buddy. He had a lab. We we're up in Wisconsin and I just, I had my short hair out and he just brought his lab out and just kind of like what you said, she just, she's just a duck dog. So she just stayed at heel the whole time, but she went, my dog, Rachel, she went on point and it was on a woodcock and it was in some cover. I mean, it was literally like, I didn't even think about sending the lab in at first. I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to, for me to get in there and flush a dog. And finally, like it was some cover that I, I could not get into. Like it just wasn't happening. And finally I just, I looked up, I saw the lab and I asked my buddy Adam, I was like, Hey, you think she'll go in? He goes, I don't know. We can try. And so he just released her center in the direction. She kicked the woodcock up and we had a, a great shot opportunity right over the cover. Yep. And, uh, but you know that Rachel was trained steady to release. So after the dog or after the bird flushed, she just stayed there. And, and so, you know, it, it was really just, I really saw the benefit of it in that one experience, but I haven't had the opportunity to see it more often. Uh, so let's talk about the level of steadiness. You know, I know you said that your dogs are really trained, just steady to flush. So when the bird gets up, they're breaking and going for the retrieve, right? Uh, yeah. I, you know, from my understanding and talking to most people that do this uh, type of work, their dogs are really trained steady to release. And even the flushing dogs are steady to release. So they'll go kick the bird up and they're trained stop to flush or sit to flush. And so when that bird gets up, they're trained to stop and then you can send whatever dog after it. And so to me, I think that's like really the, the, you know, championship level tandem training there that you know maybe not everybody can achieve with their dogs but it works for you not even getting to that level so obviously that's not a requirement what are your thoughts on that do you think that training to that level of steadiness a is worth it and b is it are there more benefits to it uh in the long run um i i definitely think it's worth it uh the the gentleman that we actually got our cocker from that that's exactly what they do they're they're big uh horseback trial guys um they run really big running pointers like i mean ridiculously big running pointers and they also guide on um some preserves down in tennessee and uh that's exactly what they do the the pointers i he's posted a video where the pointers are on point uh the cocker was in the on the front seat of the side by side <laughs> He drove up to where the pointers were pointing, released the cocker from the side-by-side. He goes in and flushes the bird, and his is not trained steady to or, uh, sit the flush, which I think is absolutely awesome if you can get to that level because, you know, some of these dogs, we've all seen this out hunting where a bird flushes and the dog just wants to jump after the bird, yeah. which can be a 
crazy dangerous situation. Yeah. Um, Especially with a beginner real, real quick, you know, trigger finger, you know, easily excitable. You know, if you're out there with a bunch of people that have been out there enough times, you know, they should be able to, to draw off that. But you, you take a kid or a beginner to where it's just bird shoot. It's uh, that can get dangerous pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of the, to go off topic, not off topic, but the taking a beginner out and having the lab go in there or whatever flusher go in there to flush, as long as they're not doing that, jumping after the bird, mm-hmm. it gives that person the best opportunity to shoot the bird because sure. they kind of, you know, when I'm guiding and I'm not using one of the flushers, if I have somebody that's going to shoot with me that's never shot a bird before, usually I'm stuck to them yeah. and, and we're going in and, and flushing the bird together basically. So, but to get to that level of steadiness and, you know, I honestly, I mean, it's, it's the ultimate finish work of a pointing dog, you know, to be able to release on command, you know, on, on their name and have multiple dogs pointing into release and then to throw a flushing dog in there, have that dog go in, flush the bird, the hunter shoot the bird. And the flushing dog brings it back, and the pointing dogs are still there. They've never moved. Yep. You know, it's like absolutely ridiculously amazing. Yeah. My opinion in a hunting situation, I want as many noses on the ground after we shoot the bird to get the bird and bring it back. And yeah. I don't personally care who brings the bird back. Um, <laughs> you know, like I said. <laughs> Gunner flushed the quail, Tuck brought the quail back that we shot. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and sometimes, you know, in some cases, some pointers, once they point the bird, that's it. They want to go and point the next bird. So, so you know, some, some dogs don't even care about the retrieve in some cases. Yeah. Mine, on the other hand, they all go for it. Sometimes one will steal it from the other, which I'm, I'm not a stickler on that, um, you know, but... I would definitely love to have a have a, a group of dogs at that point where the pointers don't move while the flusher's in there flushing, and when the bird flushes, the flushing dog sits. Like I'm hoping to achieve that with the cocker, um, you know, here when we move, continue to move through her training and everything. But for me, it's not, you know, I, I'm ultimately looking at hunting situations and. Yeah. and just in my opinion for a hunting situation, you know, I think we've, you've even said this before where like the one, your, your short hair went on point in the middle of a briar patch and you're trying to release her and, and you know, you can't cause you can't get to her to <laughs> tap her on the head or whatever. You know, it's like, you know, so for me, that's not, not necessarily a big deal. You know, I think yeah. it's amazing that people have the patience to get to that point. Um, you know, but I mean, when you're, especially when you're shooting multiple birds, like I I had a situation, even, even having two dogs on the ground, I had Axel pointed some sharp tail went up. I shot two of them off the, off the cubby rise. And we only ended up harvesting one because both dogs focused in on one bird, the, the second bird that dropped. I saw where the first bird dropped, but we didn't get to it quick enough. And I think it ran off. So Gotcha. But, Went down you know, a hole or something. Well, exactly. I, I'm looking for as many noses on the bird as I, yeah. as I, as I can possibly and, and that, have, I guess. That is really common for guys that do a lot of wild bird hunting. You know, they don't really mm-hmm. see the value in steady to release. I, I still say in a perfect world, my preference uh, that you really can't go wrong with is steady until the shot. You know, they'll break on the Absolutely. shot because, you know, they're steady. The bird flushes. There, you don't have a dog in the picture jumping around, whatever. But as soon as you shoot, they're gone. Uh, you yeah. know, you, you can make a case that there are more drawbacks uh, that maybe if there's a few holdover birds that didn't get up, that steady to release dog, you might still have an opportunity on a couple other birds. But in my experience, let's be honest, how many people do you know after the first group of birds get up, do they have shells left in their gun anyway? <laughs> so, yeah, none. And yeah. I mean, We've had situations where we put up a covey and we were searching for birds in really thick cover, and 15 minutes later, a bird popped up at our feet. Oh, yeah. I've had and, that happen in know, Oklahoma myself, too. Yep. 
Yep. So, so, so with the flushing dog, you know, this really kind of comes a little bit more natural to them because, you know, that their job is really just, you, you really don't need a certain level of steadiness to them. Like you said, you know, they'll develop over time, uh, what a dog on point represents and what it means. But ultimately, you know, a flushing dog, their job is to kick the bird up and their nose is going to make them do that. So you really don't have too much of a level of, uh, training that you got to do with your flushing dogs to get to this level but with the pointing dogs you know that's that's really where it gets to because you just touched on it you know it's it's hard enough for a lot of dogs and some lines are easier than others uh to allow us to flush a bird you know that they get competitive with us a lot of the time so you you really have to train your pointing dog to a certain level of steadiness obviously not just with us flushing the birds but with the flushing dogs flushing the birds and mm-hmm. you have that competitive nature. I mean, there's a reason why people want pointing dogs to back each other. And that's so that you don't push so close to the bird and that competitiveness just makes them bump the bird. Right. So, Absolutely. so really, you know, when you're working your pointing dogs, did you do this with the intention of one day I'm going to throw the flushing dog in the mix or did you just train it to a certain level and then just like, you know what? They're trained to a level now. I'm just going to throw the flushing dog in. Um, no, uh, because all this kind of happened. I don't want to say it all happened by happenstance, but I initially got my lab when we lived in North Dakota for, you know, we lived in North Dakota. I needed a waterfowl dog, waterfowl and cattail Uh, pheasant dog. Exactly. So I had no, I had really no intention in hunting the dogs together at all. Uh, and, and Gunner, um, he, he came from a waterfowl trainer uh, in Wisconsin. And so his level of steadiness there in the duck blind is there. I mean, when we were dove hunting in September, he probably had, you know, 50 of those 100 doves shot over him mm-hmm. and never moved a muscle. Um, you know, so it's crazy to be able to go from that to the upland field where they're move, you want them to move around and act crazy. Um, but the, in, the intent when I got Gunner wasn't that honestly it developed into that. Uh, and it developed into that. The, I had Gunner when we first got to North Dakota. Um, and I kind of used them a little bit there. Um, I would basically just, if we put a bird down in the cattail slough, I would send him in to flush it or not to flush it, to retrieve it out of the water because my pointers didn't like to go in the water. Um, <laughs> gotcha. You know, but generally I would I would hunt him by himself outside of the pointers. Where it really came into play and I started doing it a lot was when I came to Kentucky and I started guiding a lot more often and uh, I was using him with the pointers. And it was because of the setup situation is really where the training developed for him. So it wasn't something that I like set out to do. It kind of happened by accident. Um, and it literally was just repeat, which I mean, training, you know, we talk about this gun dog at yourself thing, um, that, that you guys have kind of developed over the last year. And it, it's amazing because what I, I realized going throughout this whole process of training dogs and, training your own dogs is the repetition is what trains the dog, not, you know, doing specific things at certain times or whatever like that, but you're doing things over and over again with them. So with Gunner, he basically consistently consistent. So he basically learned from weekend to week out guiding at a local hunting preserve that when the pointers go on point, I sit down, I wait for everybody to come up and get ready. And then Corey tells me to go in and I flush the bird. Um, you know, so. So while, while you're figuring this out at the preserves though, walk me through where your pointers were at and how they reacted to you just starting this. Like, I mean, was there a learning curve with the pointing dogs or did they just naturally, because you had worked with them to a certain level of steadiness with yourself, just naturally take to it? Like, was there any headache or back step on their steadiness when you started sending another dog in? Or was it just they were solid enough on the steady to flush piece that you didn't have any issues with it? 
there there really wasn't too many issues um you know maybe overlaying the collar with it while we were actually doing it you know just to to kind of reinforce that woe um but i honestly think it's it was more because they were so used to gunner because he's obviously all around you know all of our dogs are together all the time and basically it was just i think they really figured it out quick uh, you know, there were occasions where they would break um, before he had the opportunity to, to actually get the bird up. It wasn't necessarily they were fl- trying to flush the bird. They were just kind of relocating to get out of his way. So, so um, I'm curious, when they broke, when you sent Gunner in and they broke before the bird got up or Gunner flushed it, did you still go ahead and shoot that bird or did you lay off that bird? It... it Honestly, it would depend if it was me or if it was a guided hunt. If it was a guided yeah, hunt, we shot true. the bird. Yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, I didn't think about that. So yeah, you're you're kind of in that situation. Like that guy is not going to let twenty dollar bird fly away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. So <laughs> yeah. in, because we we did the guiding thing so much the last few years, you know, at the preserves, and I mean, people knock it all the time, but in dog development of getting your dogs exposed to so many birds, I think it's a valuable tool, um, you know, to, to use. I, I, my dogs have been over thousands of birds because of being able to guide at a hunting preserve. Um, but, yeah, I, really going through the process of doing it, there was – I feel like they were finished enough to a point that I just had to kind of reinforce it a little bit to them, like, hey, this is his job and that's your job. Yeah, you're going to point the bird. He's going to flush it for us. Whoever beats, you know, whoever gets to the bird first is going to be the one that brings it back. So, um, you know, a lot of it was, again, I I had no idea what I was doing at the time. Now I look back and I'm like, wow, I was actually training my dog to do this thing (laughs) that we love so much now. Well, well, let's go ahead and start discussion discussing some of uh, the drawbacks or potential drawbacks on why you know someone may not want to want to go down this route, right? Because th- this type of thing is not conducive for every type of handler and every type of dog, right? You know, it's everybody's different and every dog's different. So just because, you know, it it went so smoothly for you and you just stumbled upon it and then you really just kind of fine tuned it to work for you. That doesn't mean that that's going to work for everybody. Right. So, so let's talk about some of the concerns that somebody might have on this. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is, uh, to caveat off the steadiness on the pointing dogs that we've already kind of touched on. Not everybody trains their pointing dogs to be steady enough to even flush consistently. You know, a lot of people are perfectly fine with a dog going on point and then breaking and and kicking up the bird and shooting it. You know, it's kind of hunt your game, right? It's nobody's to say that that's wrong. So obviously I, I don't think we have to really touch on that too much. If, if you can't, if you don't want to train your dog, you know, to a consistent steady to flush scenario, this probably is not a good option for you because you're not even going to have the opportunity to send the, uh, send the flushing dog in. But so many people I know say the dog that points the bird, they get the retrieve. And so many people put it in perspective of the retrieve is the reward for the dog. They find the bird, they point the bird, when you shoot it, they should get the retrieve. So what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, like you said, you haven't seen any drawback in your pointing dog's desire to hunt because they don't get the retrieve. Yeah, and and this is in this situation, like this is my the the pointing team that I have right now, this is the second group of pointers that I've had, Tuck and Jed, that I've done this with. Ruger and Harley were the first um, pointers that I had and I had Gunner, and they did phenomenal too. Like both, both of the, I've gotten like super lucky with them, but I don't think that, you know, drawbacks to it, you could definitely have a pointing dog that's like so infused in wanting to retrieve the bird that it's like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to flush the bird, and then he's going to shoot it, and I'm going to go get it. So the whole situation kind of explodes right in your face. 
Um, and that's where I, I think I go back to both pointing and flushing dogs need to be kind of trained to the fin- a finished enough point that you as their handler, because we all know our dogs better than anybody does, you know, especially like the pointing dogs. Like I can read my pointing dogs when they go on point on a bird versus just stopping and checking the wind. Um, so you kind of, as a handler have to figure out, okay, I've, I've trained both of these dogs up to a certain level. At what point am I comfortable putting them together to where we can then train together for them to achieve one dog being able to point and the other one going into flush. I, like I, we kind of said before, I'm not, you know, a stickler enough to where I have to have, that dog that pointed it, you know, the backing dog doesn't get the retrieve. That dog pointed it. He, get, he has to go in and get it. And, the, you know, I'm not really worried about that. As long as we harvest the bird, you know, ultimately that's the main goal. So while we're out there while bird hunting, but, um, yeah, I think definitely both dogs need to be trained separately. And then the whole situation needs to come together in a controlled situation, not, you know, use planted bird, pen raised birds to, to, to let the dogs figure it out together. Um, you know, so you're not in that perfect hunting situation and this is happening and it's going to even develop in a perfect hunting situation too, because we all know that wild bird hunting situations are way different than planted bird situations. Sometimes in South Dakota, we saw dogs, you know, it taken two or three days for them to figure out what we're doing there. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. Well, I I mean, it's one of those, you really have to decide as, as a handler, are you one of those people that you really think that the pointing dog has to get the retrieve? You know, that there are certain Mm -hmm. dogs out there with such a high retrieve drive that, uh, you know, it steadiness can prove an issue because they want, they're anticipating that retrieve. Uh, but you know, every dog's different. And I mean, heck it's, Sometimes I wonder if we blow it up in our heads and we kind of anthropomorphize it to where the dog worked hard, they should get the reward and they should get the retrieve and the dog really doesn't care. It's like, I I think it's George Hickox even says that really the reward is the hunt. The reward is the journey for the dog. And so, you know, maybe it doesn't make a difference, but maybe you see if you are trying this yourself and you see the dog starting to take step back, uh, less enthusiastic search or hunt because they're never getting a retrieve. Uh, maybe it's, you know, you need to consider that maybe this isn't for you or at least train the flushing dog to that steadiness, uh, level. Like we were talking about, you know, sit to flush or whatever, to where you can still release the pointing dog and he can get the retrieve and keep hunting hard. Uh, that that's just yeah, one consideration absolutely. that you, you need to be honest about. And re- like you said, it goes back to knowing your dog and paying attention to your dog and seeing if it really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely not, you know, expose a young, like my dog, Axel, he's, he turned a year in August. So what is he like 16 months old now? Yeah. I'm, this is not something I'm going to do with him until he's 100% steady, you know, through everything. Yeah. Um, because I'm not, you know, I don't, the other dogs were at an older, later stage in their lives and have got, you know, they had got to point hundreds and hundreds of birds yeah. before I ever even introduced this to them. And, and that's, um, that's a, a good point. So let's jump into that a little bit more because it, it's one of those, when you're working with a young dog, especially on planted birds, like you just said, they're not the same as wild birds. It's already, you're taking an, an unnatural situation and trying to train the dog to act and, uh, as if it is a natural way. So planet birds is not the same thing as wild birds. We all know that we just make do and we make it as realistic as possible. So if you have a young dog and you're trying to take that step and pointing and just getting him to allow you to flush the bird, it is definitely not the time to even consider throwing a flushing dog into the mix. Just like you're talking about with your young dog. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that because I'm not mad that Gunner points birds now, the lab. Uh, you know, it's kind of nice that he does that because 
if I'm hunting him by himself, you know, it gives me the opportunity to get up there and, and flush the bird, especially in a field trial. But taking a young dog, a young pointing dog, you know, that might be seven, eight, nine months old. Um, and, and which is crazy because this past weekend, we actually did it with Eric's German short hair Apache, who's nine months old. That dog stayed steady to the flush with Gunner flushing the bird, steady through the shot, everything, uh, until Eric released it. And, and, and that's something that Eric has been working on with them, but it's not something he's been putting, you know, tons and tons and tons of effort into. Um, so it's just, to me, that's a testament to the bloodline that that dog is from that, you know, they, that stuff is coming naturally to him. And, uh, but you can definitely create problems with a pointing dog that the dog is just like, well, I'm going to go in and flush this bird. That other dog's not going to have it. Um, you know, so it just goes back to that level of steadiness that, the pointing dog needs to be at to where he'll let you go in and flush the bird and not make a move to allow you to bring a flushing dog in to do the same thing. Yeah. So, and, and like you said before, like the flushing dogs are, it's crazy how, how much faster they kind of, they develop as far as what their role is. Um, the little cocker Anna that we have is eight months old and we, got the opportunity to like, talk to my wife into letting me take her puppy uh, out with, with us this year. And I, I could not pass the opportunity up to do that. And to see her develop and figure out what her purpose is as a little flushing dog yep. was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and to have her going and, and, and doing the same thing that Gunner's doing, she's, I'm getting her to that point to where she's going to heal and sit. I'm not really worried about that now because I want her, her prey drive and her bird craziness to supersede her steadiness right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think we talk about this all the time where, um, you know, you can, you can't train a dog to be bird crazy or have prey drive or, you know, um, cover ground that's something you can't you you have to allow them to do that and then we can draw it back in so right now with her i'm letting her go in and flush the birds and you know act crazy and the only thing that kind of stinks about her is she's so little and the short hairs and the pointers are so much faster than her she unfortunately never makes it to the bird to retrieve it uh so (laughs) with her it definitely would be awesome to have them steady through the release so that I can allow her the opportunity to go, you know, retrieve the bird. But or, again, yeah. it's not something that I'm too concerned about right now. So. Yeah, no, I got you. So, you know, I, I have one more uh, potential consideration or drawback, whatever the heck you want to call it. But before I, I hit on that, and we can probably close out with that one, is, is there any other challenge or consideration in your opinion that you would advise somebody uh, brand new to this that was like that you know they're sitting there thinking like man it'd be cool to have that happen in the field is there anything that you can think of that uh, warrants consideration and uh, just know that it's going to be a challenge going ahead uh, I think the especially with the flushing dog is just you know and I'm honestly I have no idea how to other than doing the, the sit to flush and you know um or steady to, to how, whatever they call it with the flushing dog, sit the flush yeah. is to really ingrain that at an early age on the steadiness of the flushing dog, because realistically your, your main concern is that flushing dog, not jumping after that bird once it flies. Cause they're so much closer to the bird than the pointing dog is in, in all, you know, most situations that, you know, doing that at an early age, like that's something I really wish I would have done with Gunner. He fortunately does not jump like that. So, you know, it's not something I really have to be concerned about, but you know, that's just in any situation. I mean, you've seen it. Everybody's seen it. That's done this long enough. We're so focused on the bird that sometimes we forget that the dog is there. Right. And you know, that's the last thing you want to do is have a jumping dog, in your sight picture when you're taking out a, you know, trying to shoot a bird. So, 
Yeah. I think really for me, that's the, the biggest thing is just, you know, making sure that that dog understands where it's place in the whole scheme of things is, um, you know, and, and again, it goes back to both dogs need to be trained to a level before you can allow them to come together. For sure. For sure. Now that makes sense. And really, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I have to point out on this. Okay. And, and it, I don't know that some people may not take this very well, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you're considering doing this, this needs to be a gut check moment for you. You need to be a hundred percent realistic and honest with yourself on whether your personality and your training knowledge and consistency and time and everything, uh, really reflects being able to do this correctly. Right. You know, how many, we know a lot of people that get the, the pointing dogs and they have a hard enough time just keeping the pointing dog and being, um, I don't know what the word, right word is, um, consistent enough and have enough self-control to keep that dog at a certain level of steadiness. And that's just working with one dog. If, if you're that type of person and you know you are, then maybe adding a flushing dog to the mix is not for you. You know, you're, you're talking about a second dog. It's one thing to add a second pointing dog to the lineup, but you're adding two, you're going to have two different dogs with two different instincts and two different purposes. If you are just the personality that you don't have enough self-control to uh, maintain a certain level with your pointing dog and or your flushing dog, adding another one to the mix is not going to work out in your head the way you think it is, right? It So really, again, we talk about it all the time. Just be honest with yourself. If you want to do it, cool, and let's figure out how to do it. But just be honest with yourself. Do you have the time commitment to train two different types of dogs in two, you know, in different scenarios and getting them to the levels to where you can throw them together? And do you have the knowledge and consistency in your personality to do that? Absolutely, yeah, for sure. And just while you're talking, thinking about, you know, one of the things that, that I've done to kind of, reinforce that you know where each dog in the situation wants to get the reward which ultimately is the bird we use you know obviously everybody uses bumpers in this game i'll literally sit down in my yard have all the dogs lined up in front of me and i'll throw one bumper and release one dog at a time to go get that bumper now they're not trained like we talked about before to um, steady the release out in the field like that. But, you know, because there's guns going off and all that, that all changes everything, you know, when, when you're hunting, when there's guns going off. But doing that, I think, is is probably why they developed so well out in the field hunting, because of that. I know eventually I'm going to get the reward of retrieving the bird. Uh, you know, and we've, we've been able to do that consistently and it's just something that I do on a regular basis, um, you know, here just at the house. So like you said, you, you really got to like kind of gut check yourself. Like, am I going to be able to apply this on a regular basis so that it, everybody's working together as a team and, uh, you know, to get the end result of using a pointing dog and a flushing dog together. Uh, it's not something that's a new concept, you know, down in the South. Uh, and some of these big quail plantations, it's all they do is use pointing and flushing dogs. A lot of cockers down there, uh, you know, so that's probably one of the reasons why we went, <laughs> went with getting a cocker. But, you know, it's, it's definitely something that's not brand new to our sport. Um, you know, people have been doing it for a really long time. It's just I, I really don't like to hunt any other way. Um, I was telling a friend the other day, I'm like, I don't even like going in and flushing the birds myself anymore. Uh, you know, when I'm doing a field trial, it's like, I got to find out where this bird's at in front of the dog. So I'm always relocating the dog. But you know, when you send the lab in there to flush the bird, it's the, the dog is going to put the bird up for you, you know? So yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no question about that. If the bird's in there and the pointing dog says it's there, the lab is going to make it go up or the cocker is going to make it go up. So. Yep. No, absolutely. Well, Corey, I, I, th I think we kind of hit on a lot of this stuff. Obviously we can just dive into a, a 
a, a really big rabbit hole on this stuff, but you know, then you're really just talking about steadiness with different different types of dogs. So uh, we'll we'll leave that for another day. But but you know, I appreciate you coming on again and making time. You know, before I let you go, tell everybody where they can find you and and see what you have going on. Uh, definitely, uh, you can check us out on Facebook at Bluegrass Uplanders on Instagram as well. Uh, and I, I've got to give a shout out too to the U.S. Army Outdoors team. Uh, it's something that that we're kind of coming up with a new concept to to kind of show the world that uh, you know because we're soldiers, we don't you know always wear a uniform. We all have hobbies too. So definitely check out U.S. Army Outdoors team on Facebook and Instagram, and uh, hopefully we'll see you out there in the field. Yep. Sounds good. Uh, Again, appreciate it, Corey. And uh, guys, we'll check back with you next week. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again, and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again and a year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.